Section 14 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1, Mammals, by Charles Lewis Cornish, Editor. The Lynxes. In the lynxes we seem to have a less specially cat-like form. They are short-tailed, high in leg, and broad-faced. Less active than the leopards and tiger-cats, and able to live either in very hot or very cold countries, they are found from the Persian deserts to the far north of Siberia and Canada. The caracal is a southern hot-country lynx. It has a longer tail than the others, but the same tufted ears. It seems a link between the lynxes and the jungle-cats. It is found in India, Palestine, Persia, and Mesopotamia. In India, it was trained, like the cheetah, to catch birds, gazelles, and hares. The common lynx is probably the same animal, whether found in Norway, Russia, the Carpathians, Turkestan, China, or Tibet. The Canadian lynx is also very probably the same, with local differences of color. The northern lynx is the largest feline animal left in Europe, and kills sheep and goats equally with hares and squirrels. The beautiful fur of pale cinnamon and light gray is much admired. In some southern districts of America, we have the red lynx, or so-called wildcat, which is distinct from the lynx of Canada. The Mediterranean, or Spanish, lynx seems likewise entitled to rank as a distinct species. Of the lynxes, the caracals are perhaps the most interesting from their capacity for domestication. They are found in Africa in the open desert country, whereas the serval is found in the thick bush. In Africa, it is believed to be the most savage and untamable of the cats. That is probably because the negro and the kaffir never possessed the art of training animals, from the elephant downwards. In India, the caracal's natural prey are the fawns of deer and antelope, peafowl, hares, and floricans. The caracal is the quickest with its feet of any of the cats. One of its best-known feats is to spring up and catch birds passing over on the wing at a height of six or eight feet from the ground. A writer in the naturalist's library notes that, besides being tamed to catch deer, peafowl, and cranes, the caracal was used in pigeon matches. Two caracals were backed one against the other to kill pigeons. The birds were fed on the ground, and the caracals suddenly let loose among them to strike down as many as each could before the birds escaped. Each would sometimes strike down with its forepaws ten or a dozen pigeons. Caracal means in Turkish black ear, in allusion to the color of the animal's organ of hearing. The common lynx is a thick-set animal, high in the leg, with a square head and very strong paws and forearms. It is found across the whole northern region of Europe and Asia. Although never known in Britain in historic times, it is still occasionally seen in parts of the Alps and in the Carpathians. It is also common in the Caucasus. It is mainly a forest animal, and very largely nocturnal. Therefore, it is seldom seen, and not often hunted. If an enemy approaches, the lynx lies perfectly still on some branch or rock, and generally succeeds in avoiding notice. The lynx is extremely active. It can leap great distances, and makes its attack usually in that way. 
when traveling at trots or gallops in a very dog-like fashion, where sheep graze at large on mountains, as in the Balkans, and in Greece, the lynx is a great enemy of the flocks. In Norway, where the animal is now very rare, there is a tradition that it is more mischievous than the wolf, and a high price is set on its head. In Siberia and North Russia, most of the lynx skins taken are sold to the Chinese. The lynx skins brought to London are mainly those of the Canadian species. The fur is dyed and used for the busbies of the officers in our hussar regiments. These skins vary much in color, and in length and quality of fur. The price varies correspondingly. The Canadian lynx lives mainly on the wood hares and on the wood grouse of the North American forests. The flesh of the lynx is said to be good and tender. Brehm says of the Siberian lynx, It is a forest animal in the strictest sense of the word, but in Siberia it occurs only singly and is rarely captured. Its true home is the thickest parts in the interior of the woods, and these it probably never leaves except when scarcity of food or the calls of love tempt it to wander to the outskirts. Both immigrants and natives hold the hunting of the lynx in high esteem. This proud cat's activity, caution and agility, and powers of defense arouse the enthusiasm of every sportsman, and both skin and flesh are valued. The latter not only by the Mongolian tribes, but also by the Russian hunters. The lynx is seldom captured in fall traps. He often renders them useless by walking along the beam and stepping on the lever, and he usually leaps over the spring traps in his path. So only the rifle and dogs are left. The red lynx is a small American variety, the coat of which turns tawny in summer when it resembles a large cat. It is called in some parts of the United States the mountain cat. This lynx is 30 inches long in the body with a tail 6 inches long. It is found on the eastern or Atlantic side of the continent and by no means shuns the neighborhood of settlements. The cheetah, the non-retactile clawed cat. The cheetah or hunting leopard is the only example of this particular group, though there was an extinct form whose remains are found in the Sawalik Hills in the north of India. It is a very widely dispersed animal, found in Persia, Turkestan, and the countries east of the Caspian, and in India so far as the lower part of the center of the peninsula. It is also common in Africa, where until recent years it was found in Cape Colony and Natal. Now it is banished to the Kalahari Desert, the northern Transvaal, and Bukana land. The cheetah is more dog-like than any other cat. It stands high on the leg and has a short, rounded head. Its fur is short and rather woolly, its feet rounded, and its claws, instead of slipping back into sheaths like a lion's, are only partly retractile. Mr. Lockwood Kipling gives the following account of the cheetah and its keepers. The only point where real skill comes into play in dealing with the hunting leopard is in catching the adult animal when it has already learnt the swift bounding onset, its one accomplishment. The young cheetah is not worth catching, for it has not yet learnt its trade, nor can it be taught in captivity. There are certain trees where these great dog cats, for they have some oddly canine characteristics, come to play and wet their claws. The hunters find such a tree and arrange nooses of deer sinew around it and wait the event. The animal comes and is caught by the leg, and it is at this point that the trouble begins. It is no small achievement for two or three naked, 
ill-fed men to secure so fierce a capture and carry it home tied on a cart. Then his training begins. He is tied in all directions, principally from a thick rope round his loins, while a hood fitted over his head effectually blinds him. He is fastened on a strong cot bedstead, and the keepers and their wives and families reduce him to submission by starving him and keeping him awake. His head is made to face the village street, and for an hour at a time, several times a day, his keepers make pretended rushes at him and wave cloths, staves, and other articles in his face. He is talked to continually, and the women's tongues are believed to be the most effective of things to keep him awake. No created being could withstand the effects of hunger, want of sleep, and feminine scolding, and the poor cheetah becomes piteously, abjectly tame. He is taken out for a walk occasionally. If a slow crawl between four attendants, all holding hard, can be called a walk, and his promenades are always through the crowded streets and bazaars, where the keeper's friends are to be found. But the people are rather pleased than otherwise to see the rajah's cheetahs amongst them. Later, when the creature is tamed, the cheetah's bedstead is like that of the keeper, and leopard and man are often curled up under the same blanket. When his bedfellow is restless, the keeper lazily stretches out an arm from his end of the cot and dangles a tassel over the animal's head, which seems to soothe him. In the early morning I have seen a cheetah sitting up on his couch, a red blanket half covering him, and his tasseled red hood awry, looking exactly like an elderly gentleman in a nightcap, as he yawns with the irresolute air of one who is in doubt whether to rise or to turn in for another nap. This charming and accurate description shows the cheetah at home. In the field he is quite another creature. He is driven as near as possible to the game, and then unhooded and given a sight of them. Sir Samuel Baker thus describes a hunt in which a cheetah was used. The chase began after the right-hand buck, which had a start of about a hundred and ten yards. It was a magnificent sight to see the extraordinary speed of pursuer and pursued. The buck flew over the level surface, followed by the cheetah, which was laying out at full stretch, with its long, thick tail brandishing in the air. They had run two hundred yards when the keeper gave the word, and away we went as fast as our horses could carry us. The horses could go over this clear ground, where no danger of a fall seemed possible. I never saw anything to equal the speed of the buck and the cheetah. We were literally nowhere, although we were going as hard as horse flesh could carry us. But we had a glorious view. The cheetah was gaining in the course, while the buck was exerting every muscle for life or death in its last race. Presently, after a course of about a quarter of a mile, the buck doubled like a hare, and the cheetah lost ground as it shot ahead, instead of turning quickly, being only about thirty yards in rear of the buck. Recovering itself, it turned on extra steam, and the race appeared to recommence at increased speed. The cheetah was determined to win, and at this moment the buck made another double in the hope of shaking off its terrible pursuer. But this time the cheetah ran cunning, and was aware of the former game. It turned as sharply as the buck. Gathering itself together for a final effort, it shot forward like an arrow, picked up the distance which remained between them, and in a cloud of dust we could for one moment distinguish two forms. The next instant the buck was on its back, and the cheetah's fangs were fixed like an iron vice in its throat. The course run was about six hundred yards, and it was worth a special voyage to India to see that hunt.
End of section 14.